year that I took on mission trips. So um, uh, it's great to be able to be back and uh, um, share the word with you today. So what I want to share about today um, as a bit of a thought starter is the process of God using us to save souls. He has a plan, amen? And how God loves us and wants us to love others with that same love. You know, it's um, uh, sometimes we can avoid opportunities uh, to touch people with the love of God. And so this is what I want to share through today is some examples of my journey and, and also some testimony around what God does because he wants to do it more than we do. I mean, he wants to love people. And so we, if we have that in our mind when we go out to do the work of God, we know that he's going to do it and find a way to do it as long as we're on the move. Amen. So I want to start my journey. started back when... Um, actually, before, Oh, sorry. Can I just play the King Lake video? Sorry, I'm miss the first bit. <laughs> just want to show you a video of... Um, just to give a overview of sort of the things that I've been involved in um, and I'll talk through that throughout the message as well. So, thanks guys. Global Care arrived in King Lake in the first week after the fires and uh, in that time we've had over 4,000 volunteers come through in the last 18 or so months. Uh, of those volunteers we've been involved in uh, logging 2,500 jobs of which 2,100 are finished and there's 400 still yet to be completed. So we still need your help. Um, when we arrived here, we made a decision we wanted to really impact the whole community. Uh, we brought down people um, to do youth work. Uh, we were involved in a local youth group and still are to this day, uh, every Monday night, uh, taking kids home on the bus uh, to quite remote houses from the area. Uh, we are also involved in uh, local schools, local football clubs, uh, particularly one thing that we're really um, proud that we were involved in was actually helping to run a local business in King Lake, the Harvest Cafe, where a lady was struggling to get started after fires, and now that business is thriving and, and uh, employs local people. Uh, we ran that for six months for her to help her get going. We're also involved in um, all sorts of work from splitting logs to delivering firewood, uh, bobcat work, etc. And uh, we really want to encourage you to come down, give us a hand, there's many, many more things to do. Um, even up to in this month of September, we've been taking uh, 30 men, uh, 60 in total, two lots of 30 to Mount Buller, the snow, 30 of them, and another 30 guys to the V8 car race in Phillip Island. Global Cares help me by working around the house, ripping me trees out, taking me away for a great weekend uh, last weekend, which I enjoyed thoroughly. Uh, Community-wise, they've done absolutely mountains of work up here. Everywhere I've been, they've just about been in everybody's houses, as far as I know. Global Care have made us happier. They're just helping out around with stuff people don't have time to do because they're running back and forward, building houses and all that. They've helped. They've helped so much because when people are too busy, they, you know, they just jump in and just help out. They're just there for you. Uh, Global Care helped me. Personally, uh, with the cafe, shortly after the fire, they helped staff it while we couldn't uh, to get the business back on track. Volunteering, you learn something about yourself, you learn something about other people, and at the end of the day, it's just a great feeling uh, that you've done something. You don't want anything in return, you just want to give your experience, or I suppose give your skills, uh, to someone who may not have access to that otherwise. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's the feeling that you get personally of helping someone else. Where can you start thanking you? I just 
they've done so much, they've always been there. They're, they're just, they're unbelievable. Um, I don't know when to start to think. I just couldn't thank them enough. The main reason I wanted to show you the video wasn't to um, so what we did, but I just wanted to highlight some of the God factor that through this. We were there for two years. Um, that last lady, actually, when I, she was the first person I met, and she was very anti-God, and, and then continued to tell me that her grandparents used to be pastors in Toowoomba. And so eventually, led her to the Lord. She was in her 80s, and we helped around the house. So, and um, she started testifying that either fires or divine things had happened where a tree fell and missed the house by this much. And just, just amazing... Uh, journey. She was just one of many, many relationships that were built there. But I went down there for, I was told, can I go to, down to King Lake for a month? Um, I had been doing overseas stuff for Global Care, not Australia, for about six years. So I had three business cards left. So I went into the community. It was still uh, loss of life. There was places black. Uh, and I had no one met. I gave my first three business cards out. Didn't write the, find the right person, so it was all in God's hands. I needed to find a way to be able to be, have access, first of all, to a locked off area because you can't just go in there. Um, eventually, through a whole bunch of miracles, divine things that God did, we were able to get um, access to. I was given a phone number by Jim Wallace, Jim Wallace, of a army person that was running the program. And through that process, basically, I, I was able to um, get favor and become part of the access, daily access meeting. So, Global Care came in, the army left. And the army were the only ones that could say yes to fix things. Everyone else had a list or a go and wait. So every person in the community who'd lost loved ones had to wait on a list and um, repeat their name, repeat their situation over and over again. So we made a decision by faith uh, in, a month in that we would say yes to everything. No is not an answer. And to give God glory, for two years, everything came through. Amen? From the smallest to the largest things. We were in everyone's homes, as they said on there. Um, great example was there was a man who came to us and he said, I've got a water tank, I've got to get it up 20 metres in the air. Um, and uh, we, we don't, we, all we've got is 12 volunteers and, this, and the rest are spontaneous volunteers. So we don't have the skills, the resources, but God does, amen? And uh, so basically, we, that guy who saw at the end, sadly, lost his life later on in a tree accident, but he was actually one of the best arborists in Australia. And he actually volunteered and did about $100,000 worth of work for free for all the people in, in the community. Um, another one was we had a, this day when this tank happened, one of my work colleagues, one of my, sorry, volunteers said, um, going through the yellow pages trying to find a, a hire, to hire a, um, a cherry picker or something. And I said, mate, just trust God. Every other time it happened. So anyway, he walked out in a bit of a huff <laughs> and, he, and pulls up outside the bakery was a cherry picker. And he went over to the man. The man drove 40 minutes each way and did it for free. And that was the sort of thing that happened every day of the week. Amen. So... From that, that's why I go back to how it all began for me and, and just encourage you guys the journey of, um, um, of all having a part to play in seeing lives change every day of the week, amen? And uh, so started with the men's prayer meeting. We prayed for about nine years every Monday night, every second Monday night. And we were praying initially for our families, our young our kids as they were growing. Then we started to pray for the community and for the, the country and, <coughs> excuse me, and out of that, sorry, out of that came... Um, Getting closer to God's heart. As we were, as those worship this morning was amazing. All about that. It's all about Him, amen. And as you do that, God shows you about other people. And so some of the things I learned through those prayer times, some quotes that I loved back then was, when I pray for another person, I am praying for God to open my eyes 
so that I can see that person as God does. And then enter into a stream of love that God already directs towards that person. Amen? God already loves them. All we're doing is going, hey God, what part can I play in that process? Amen? And then next one was, um, love this, that was um, Philip Yancey. The function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. And that's what happened also in the prayer meeting. That not only do you see other people, you start seeing your own weaknesses, your own issues, and that becomes part of who you are when you go and speak to someone else, amen? That vulnerability becomes a powerful thing. That humility, that knowing that apart from God, we would be where, amen? And so there was a uh, Soren Kierkegaard quote. In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart, in Don Bunyan, amen? And so again, started challenging me on actions around these prayers. We're praying, we're praying, but like, what are we going to do, Lord, to go and make a difference? I love this one from Mother Teresa, one of my favorites. May God break my heart so completely that the whole world falls in. Amen? I was having, I love this one. May God break my heart so completely that the whole world falls in. Amen? We can miss so many opportunities if we don't have that, that stance or that, uh, that position in our heart to be able to say, hey, but for the grace of God, where would I be? And I love this one too because we all do this and we spend a lot of time in a place of um, disconnect or in a place where we can't activate ourselves is any concern too small to be turned into prayer is too small to be a burden. Amen? And how many times do small things stop us and take us out of the game? And, and I think it's so important that we see that God has got those things. Amen? And, um, <coughs> excuse me, I don't know what coughing was on. And then I love this one. This came up in our prayer meeting every week, and I, it's something I'll take into the mission field. And I, so I, I picture this all the time that a woman with the issue of blood, that when she really wanted to touch Jesus' garment, the Bible tells that power and virtue left heaven, amen, and, and healed her. And although there was a crowd. And so I suppose whenever I pray now, I see that happening, amen, that we're just touching the hem of Jesus' garment, and power and virtue is leaving to make a difference in that person's life, in our life, in whatever it may be. So. Prayer was the beginning of my journey around getting into that whole compassion and mercy area, was around getting God's heart for people, amen? That's the starting point. And, and then what happens in that process is you start to, what about that person, this person? And, and so in that prayer meeting, I remember one guy prayed um, for Saddam Hussein at the time. He, it was the first war. So this was back in 1990, I think it was. And, um, and so as he was praying for him, my first response was, what? I'm not praying for him. <laughs> I had a real attitude about it. And then... God just gave me this vision in that moment that night, the prayer meeting, of a little baby in his mother's arms and said to me, but for the grace of God, where would you be? Amen. And it really started to challenge me about, okay, there's another level of love here that I don't get and that I need to be able to start walking in and understanding. And then another time in my journey was um, a pastor by the name of um, Sopal Ung from Cambodia. I met with him over there and, and he'd actually been beaten. He saw his family members um, killed by the Khmer Rouge. Uh, it's okay, sorry, sharing here, sorry. Cameron Rouge. And then um, eventually uh, he was left at 31 kilos for dead. He'd been, had his fingernails pulled out, all sorts of stuff done to him by the, um, they thought he was part of the CIA. And eventually he went back, and when I met him, he was feeding and clothing the Cameron Rouge soldiers that did that to his family. Amen? So again, it gave me another level of, hey, wait a minute, you know, what does God see? Amen? And, um, and then I thought, I really, now I've got it, I understand there's another level I can really, you know, I can love unconditionally. And then I was watching a, um, a video of a reenactment of a lady whose daughter was sadly aggressively got, got rid of by a man and, and, and um, perpetrated against and passed away. And so that, I just want to say for the kids, sorry, but and basically what happened was um, 
she was meeting the, the perpetrator in jail. She'd become a Christian, and she was, you now had prison ministry. And it was that moment, they reenacted the moment she met him, and he was now a Christian also in jail. And um, as they met and hugged and wept, and I thought, wow, God, how? And then later on, it goes on to say that when he got out, they now minister in prisons together. Amen. And I just, again, challenged my whole mind around forgiveness and understanding that there's always a level we have in our minds of I love everyone but this one. So it started giving me a different perspective on going out in the community and looking for what God wants to see through his eyes. Amen. So John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sat in heaven and had warm feelings. Is that correct? No. It says God so loved the world that he gave. Amen. So it requires an action. It's not just loving someone or I love this one. It actually requires an action. That's how he showed us that he loved us, by giving his son. Amen. And we have the same process. We have to give something to show that love is real. It's not about, and that could be giving in prayer, whatever it may be. We're not saying we go and run to issues that we shouldn't be going to, but we should be always having an action attached to the care for someone, no matter who that person is. Amen. In fact, I've learned to run to the ones that grow me the most. Now, we avoid stuff for so long, and God's been trying to get us to go to a place. We avoid it and avoid it. But when we go there, we grow. Amen. As we grow, we can do it again next time better. And we can go to the next person and we start learning. We have a whole bunch of stuff in our kit. (coughs) Excuse me. Knowledge that God can use his Holy Spirit to anoint (coughs) and help us to use. (coughs) And help me learn a few things through that process. I started trying to learn stuff. I remember um, I saw our team's moving a word knowledge at the start. One of our lecturers at college used to learn all about the anatomy of the body and stuff. And I thought, well, why? And he's like, it wasn't because... um, about knowledge, it was about the Holy Spirit can be more accurate if you have that knowledge. Amen? Doesn't mean you're going to use it every time. So it's just things like that. So knowing stuff is good, but then let the Holy Spirit use it appropriately. And, and a great example would be, say, um, um, someone comes to you and they've got a problem with alcohol, and you might rebuke them and um, correct them, etc., and they go away and they're, and they're healed. Amen? Through the process. And you think, well, that works, so I'll do this next time. But that's not how God works. Amen? Like someone else might need a hug encouragement, it doesn't work the same. Knowledge doesn't work like that. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom how to use the knowledge for the right person. They're all individuals, amen? No one size fits all. And that's what we need to get a hold of when you go out with mercy as God, what do you want to do in this moment? Who do you want to touch? And through that process of prayer, I really challenged about, can I love my brothers um, easily? Do I have a, a level of love that I, I work through? And in 1 John 4, 17 to 21, 1 John 4, 7, 21. says this in verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. And if someone says, I love God, this is not the best, the main part, and says, I ha- and hates his brother, he is a liar. It's a tough word, amen? If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother when, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment that we have from him, that we also love God, so who loves God must love his brother also. And Oswald Chambers says of this scripture that, we are not meant to love our Saviour one bit more than the least one that he died for. The way we love him is by loving the least one that he died for. Amen? So it's a real challenge to me, that process, that 
How do we love others? By loving what Jesus died for, amen? He, he died for the least and tells us if we can't love our, if we hate our brother, we can't love him. So it challenged me at that time, this is going back in, in history where I felt that burden to go, okay, how do I outwork that now with compassion and mercy? From that I want to share um, one more scripture. Sorry. So 1 Timothy 1.15, when I was going through that process of saying, Lord, but, 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 this person's this or this person's that. Uh, it talks in 1 Timothy 1.15 about faithful truth saying that Jesus came in the world to save all sinners, and Paul says, whom I am chief. Amen? And I thought about it for a while. Like Paul, Paul persecuted, killed Christians, but he understood. It wasn't that he, he thought he was the worst sinner. He understood how much he was forgiven. Amen? And through that process, he could love anyone because he didn't see himself as the best or halfway or a third or whatever. He was the worst sinner. Amen? And we have to have the same revelation. We are the chief sinner. Without God, where will we be? Without being born into the family that we're born into, where will we be? Without the opportunities that have come our way. So we have to have that same grace when we're going to see people and say, God, help me to understand what you see, Lord. Amen? So I just want to share a few testimonies now about how that's been my journey from then. So from that, I went to Bible college. Um, I quit my corporate job. Um, and through that, my parents went over to America on a, on a um, thing called Friendships. And basically, it's this um, a very faith-driven ministry. The guy called Don Tipton has started it. And basically, they would feed the homeless. They, would, um, they got equipment. God just provided everything they needed for them as they travel around in a ship to different nations. Things like they'd go to a nation and they think, we need another nation's court heads, so they need school desks for kids. They pop up in this nation and go, oh, these guys got these desks. You want them? It just was constantly happening that God was providing the things they needed on that journey. So mum and dad were on that journey. So it challenged me. I read this book. It's called Jesus and Company. And it challenged me to get in that space of working. How could I work in this place, God? I want, to, I want to do that. Went to Bible college, finished my two years, initially diploma, and thought, well, there's nothing. I didn't want to pastor a church. No, I didn't want to pastor a church, but I wanted to get involved in pastoring the, the community. And through that, as you happen sometimes, life, I didn't know where to go next, so I continued on doing my bachelor's, not because um, I thought it was necessarily the right thing to do, but I didn't want to go back to my job and go back where I'd come from, which was surrendering that life to say, God, I want to serve you. So anyway... Two months in, Global Care was launched, and that's how my journey started through. I became the national coordinator of Global Care. Now, in that time, um, lots of stuff happened. Can we put that picture up of um, Freddie, mate, if I can? Is that... And so, this young man is my nephew now, but I'll tell you the story. was um, um, I went over the Philippines. In 1997, there was a, a fire in an orphanage. And uh, so this is Global Care's first overseas activity. And so what happened with that fire was two little boys were killed in the fire, and the third brother, this one, is five years old. And uh, they asked us if we could help. A fan had got caught fire or something. If we could send a team from Australia to help. It wasn't our orphanage, but it was an American orphanage. Can we help rebuild it? So we got 12 tradesmen from Australia who flew over to rebuild the orphanage. When they got there, my brother-in-law, uh, who was leading the team, he's a builder, um, had always been adamant. He's three little, three little daughters at the time, and he wanted to, his wife always wanted to adopt a son. Doesn't know why, but anyway, he's walking and holding this little boy's hand. He's five years old, everywhere he goes, holding his hand. Anyway, eventually um, he decided, Let's, we want to adopt him. Well, the law, which rightly so, is you can't just choose a child. It's not like picking candy. So basically he came home to Australia, and they started the process of applying for adoption. Um, in Queensland at the time, you couldn't be more than seven. Other parts of Australia was ten. So anyway, at one point, after they're sharing their story with the, um, they wanted to ask them, why do you want a seven-year-old boy from the Philippines? Oh, sorry, eight-year-old boy because it has gone on for these three years at this stage. And they told the story of what had happened with his brothers in the fire, and they said, okay, good, you can't, you can't adopt anymore. They took him off the list. 
So my brother-in-law then went back and um, um, tried all sorts of things. Ended up moving to the Philippines. They sold up their businesses and moved there, and they lived down the road from the orphanage, and they worked with, the, with him, and they sort of fostered him for that next two years. And then after two years of doing that, they were, they were still told again, you can't, have, you can't have him. So eventually, I think he was maybe he was 11 years old, they got to Australia. My brother-in-law kept saying, no, nah, I've given up, I've given up. We're saying, no, nah, trust God, trust God. He's, he's had enough. And we got a phone call and said, the Philippines government want you to have him. He now worship leads at a church in Noosa, married. He's something 25 now. And so, yeah, that whole journey was amazing. And just, I mean, there's a lot more to that story than that, what I just told you. But basically, just to highlight again what God does through these moments. Um, that was our first global care project. Uh, and then... Um, I want to share some supernatural stuff that I believe happened. So we, in Papua New Guinea in 1998, there was a big tsunami, killed about a couple thousand people. And so we had to send a team over there to build some community, community um, shelters and put water tanks. So my job was to spend $85,000 wisely because it wasn't enough money to do the job. So we looked around, we found uh, tanks, and then they told us, no, the helicopter costs a lot of money, so you have to have tanks that fit inside each other. So we literally, uh, I rang the company, um, couldn't find anywhere to buy these tanks. Um, and then I saw that a company in uh, Tamworth had the tanks. So I rang them, and they said, sorry, we've sold the tooling to another company. We don't have it anymore. Now I had like two months to get this organized. And they said, oh, where have you sold it to? We sold it to a company called KK Kingston in Papua New Guinea. So literally, that was awesome. So great, this is good. So I rang the company in New Guinea. and said, no, we don't sell direct to the public. It's got to be through our, our wholesalers. So they gave me a list of wholesalers. There were six of them. I looked at the wholesalers and thought, okay, this is the cheapest one, so we're now going to, um, we'll get his. They got the quote, came through, we're waiting, waiting, we need the barge to take these to the location so that when the tradesmen arrive, it's all lined up. They said, oh, sorry, um, the barge has already left. So we were forced to buy the tanks from the dearest one in a place called Aitape in Papua New Guinea. When we arrived in New Guinea, we found the man, Robert Parra, whose family had been there for years, they brought... They'd the gospel there years and years ago, he was like ran the town. And so when he, we bought the tanks off him, he gave us a vehicle to use. He gave us two homes to use. All this stuff came out of that relationship from that man. Otherwise, the tanks we would have bought would have landed on the port of him. It's his own port. Um, then we had another process where a team are there, we're building. Who know, anyone knows about Papua New Guinea time? It's pretty tough to try and get things done. They have these shutdowns all the time. And so pretty well what happened was we're on our way out, it takes through 32 rivers to go out to put the footings down for the concrete. Concrete in the back of the ute, driving, it's a really old ute. And then we get a bang, bang on the bonnet and the battery hold down clamp is now loose and it's banging on the, on the bonnet. So batteries bouncing everywhere. So we pulled over and we started driving back um, and about 10 k's back we found a man on the side of the road and we said to him, do you know where we can find a welder? And he goes, I'm a welder. Jumps in the back of the ute. We drove him back to his place of work, which was the Department of, of Works. We get there, and he said, oh, took two hours, welded it all up. He said, oh, how can we pay you? And he said, oh, talk to my boss. I met his, I'd met his boss, I didn't know this, two days before in a restaurant, <laughs> Cook Island guy. So he said, oh, mate, just give me a, a slab of beer. And I thought, like, I'm a pastor, mate, I'd rather not give you a beer, can I just pay you something? He said, oh, if you're a pastor, it's all free, don't worry about it. So that was good. Then we've got an our problem, we've got, we, we can't get the concrete in time to the site. So I go back into... Uh, Robert Parra's office, the guy that gave us the stuff, and I said to him um, about our issue, and he goes, oh, actually, while the phone rings, he goes, oh, well, I've got you, your stuff's not going to get delivered on time, the steel, um, it's stuck in this place. So then the phone rings again, 
and he goes, um, <clears throat> you're not driving all the way to Arup Village without a load. So perfect timing again. Here I am in the office. They pick up our stuff. They bring it. He put the concrete on the helicopter for us. And if you look at that in context, we're talking about not finishing a job that 12 men have flown to New Guinea to do. If not for the whole down clamp, that's not how God works, we would not have got our stuff delivered. Amen? And that's the sort of things that happened all through that journey again. Same in King Lake. God is a God that does stuff. I can't even, I don't even know how to fathom. All I know is that when I'm on the move, if we're on the move for something for God, he opens doors. Amen? He's got people everywhere. You know, um, and so it's like, that scripture says, you know, God also steps of a righteous man or woman. It's, it's um, to me, he doesn't order our stops, amen? We've got to be moving. And as we're moving, he, he directs us to the right places, the people. He works it for good, amen? Says in Romans, it, he works all things together for good. But we've got to be on the move. Too often we're waiting for all the prophetic words and the signs and everything before we move. But if we move, God will definitely not allow us to go the wrong track, amen? He will help us go on that journey. And... Great example would be, um, um, maybe can I, let's borrow you for a second. Let me stand here for a second. Can I borrow you for a second? Just for, just for not, nothing, can I borrow you for a second just to display something? It's all, it's not going to hurt you or anything. Just, <laughs> I'm not touching you. Just there. So basically, say for example, um, what's your name, sorry? Michelle. Michelle. Say Michelle wants to, um, uh, actually no, Tina, you want to come in? Yeah. Say Tina wants to get to the chair that's next to Michelle there, right? So common sense which we use all the time too often, says, walk straight there. Amen? But no. But God says differently, hey? God might want you to go around there. Stop by this gentleman. Yeah. Say hello to him. Yep. You might want to go over there, far corner. Yeah. Here you going. And all the way around the back there. Yeah. Over there's good, yeah. You know, yeah, come back, mate. So get the message. So, so you can have your seat back. Thanks, stuff. So basically what I'm trying to say is the growth comes in that process, amen? We think that's the way to go all the time, but we need to hear from the Holy Ghost and go, what can I do on the journey to get into that location? So if our vision is to get to a certain place, it doesn't always go, well, it makes sense. God doesn't always make sense, amen? The growth that we take, and if we try and do that instead, we'll end up over there anyway because that's where God wanted us to go, to grow. So we try and avoid it and go, here, straight, so if it's vision or whatever we want to do, we want to go somewhere, we want to go to New Guinea, we want to start the commu- a community outreach here, if we try and do it the way that makes sense, it doesn't always work, amen, because God wants us to grow and meet people on the way and change a life. This gentleman might not have had his life changed by a tennis visiting him if he'd gone there, amen. And what happens now, that man might even join you on the journey. God knows, and this person's not always a Christian, sometimes they're non-Christians. God has these women, women of peace out there that are part of the connecting, amen. It could be a local mayor, a councillor, or someone that opens a door that only he can open for you, God uses, amen? So in our thinking, we always got to think, well, don't always think, have that vision, absolutely, don't lose that thing, but don't assume the way to get there is the easy way, amen? Because sometimes there's doors in front of us, other times there's a door here too, and it's just, it's not really locked, it's just a test, amen? To see if we still believe that vision, amen? So I encourage you, hey, when you're going on these journeys, like, think about what God wants to do in the process, because you'll never avoid the growth part, Amen? It will happen whether you like it or not. Sometimes, for some people, sadly, it happens 20 years later because they keep trying to go without going through the tough part. Amen? That's where the growth is. So mercy to me is very much attached to hearing from the Holy Spirit and doing. Amen? 
We have to be saying, God, what do you want me to do in this moment? Doesn't always make sense. Why did Jesus heal people blind in so many different ways? Amen. There's not one formula, is there? You know, spit in the ground, like I'm washing here. It's not some formula we can create to say, how do we heal a blind person? Amen. And the same goes for this. It's God has a plan that we have to align with. So, in uh, 19, when I resigned from my, um, I resigned also from my role. I had a, a church role as missions pastor, and I was, I was, I was, you know, it was good. It was a good job if you want to have a job in missions, but it wasn't still what God wanted me to do. Amen. So again, it was about testing. Okay, that 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 particular role they required me to do some things that didn't fit the vision. Amen. So I had to go. Okay, Lord, how do I do this? So again, stepping out, saying, God, I trust you with this, and that's why I love us reading your vision on the toilet in there um, about the greenhouse. Amen. That's what God's about. I believe, hundred percent. You know. He's got an army out there. We have to activate them into their giftings and, and, and also, obviously, in their covering, and you need people, and that's what you've provided here, which is awesome. Um, so when I stepped out in faith, God provided supernaturally for our family. One thing I always um, was uh, saying is, Lord, how do we do it? Financially, there's always been 11th hour throughout my life, to tell you the truth, but it doesn't mean either way. It's been an amazing journey, and it's been good to see God provide. Um, a term that I learned when I was in King Lake was um, um, a more modern term called Missio Day. basically about that God's out there, he's a mission God, he's doing things all the time, amen, and we join him. You know, when I, if, I, if I went to the Philippines, I wasn't going to the Philippines saying, God, come with me. I was going, what's God doing in the Philippines? Let's go and join him, amen, and, and work alongside what God is doing. Too often we go, come on, God. God's like, no, no, <laughs> I'm not going to this, but God is always working. Even the most ungodly places I've been, I get there and God is already moving, amen. It didn't require me to come. I'm just coming to join and say, hey, Lord, what are you doing? What can I do to help enhance what God is doing in that place? So in Sri Lanka is a great example, and I want to share this story because it's, I'm not a game person, but it's amazing what when you know God's got a word for you that you don't have fear, amen? It changes the perspective when you know it's a God thing. So Sri Lanka, I'm in Cambodia at the time, and I got a call from um, people back in Australia saying you, you have to cancel your trip to Sri Lanka because the um, Tamil Tigers now, the, the, um, the UN's pulled out, um, World Vision's pulled out, it's too dangerous, and we were going to the Tamil area for a mission trip. And so I said, no, not unless the pastor tells me. So the next day the pastor rings me, oh, maybe we should cancel our trip. And I just, okay, and I got, got off the phone, I thought, no, God gave me that word, we're going to Sri Lanka. So we, we rang back and said, no, we're coming. He said, okay, send your passport, copy of it. We arrived in Sri Lanka, we drove up to the, the border of the Tamil Tiger area. You've got to get out your car. So this is a Sri Lankan army at this point. Out of your car, they search your car. Or you walk on foot. They drive the car for you to the next step. You get through that custom section. Then you go through like 100 metres of Red Cross. And then you hit the Tamil Tigers' little huts. Go there. Their system of customs is a bit different. They take your, take your passport off you, disappear with it. Came back and put like, didn't stick it, thankfully. Put a picture of their leader in my passport. Um, and then... Off we went. Went in, we met with the second in charge of the Tamil Tigers, literally weirdest thing, sitting there having a cup of tea with him, talking about the cricket, um, because he literally, they, the, um, the Tamils follow Sri Lanka, uh, sorry, India, not Sri Lanka. So they're talking about the cricket, mate, Ricky Ponting and Shane Warne, everyone, anyway. Through all that meeting, basically what happened was, they took us out again to a, um, a big memorial site, and that memorial site had 2,500 headstones of people that had put bombs on them and killed themselves through that whole war. So here they are, they're celebrating this thing. 
And what happened was after that, we met the pastor there. There was a pastor in there that we were going to meet. He had one leg from a mine. He was an amazing job. And through our meeting going there, we were able to get access to our, all our other pastors to come in for the next six months without any problems. So it opened up a massive door for ministry to come in, growth of the church, right in the midst of that place. When we were on our way out, we were driving in the road and we pulled over and looked up and every tree had a soldier in it with a gun in it. We didn't even notice on the way there, on the way back. Um, and when we got down in the community, I'd met a 96-year-old man in Carindale who was a whistleblower, had left Sri Lanka in the 50s because of the corruption. He was a Tamil guy and... Um, I then went, this is a segue, we'll go back to that in a second. I went and met a doctor whose son, sadly, and friend was university students were killed by the, the um, Sri Lankan army. And he went in there, we met with him. He cried on my shoulder, showed me photos of his son. And he was scared stiff. He couldn't leave the actual place because of the fear of, because he witnessed the incident. I rang the guy in Australia that I met, the 96-year-old. Literally got him out of there in a month to England. So again, this is a journey that, I, that everyone's saying not to go on. God had the other stuff in, involved, amen? Anyway, through all that, there was a bunch of other stuff that happened as well, and um, the supernatural part was always evident that God was doing things. So I'm encouraging you guys, it doesn't take any special gift for this. I'm saying you've got to hear, hear God's voice and, and follow, and he will do it, amen? He'll give you the, the seed of what the outcome you've got to get, and he'll, he'll walk alongside you. Um, in that same place in the Sri Lanka, we went back for a second trip, and they had lost all their boat, which is go out and, and catch fish, that, which employed 32 people. We, we bought them a boat with a motor. They went out fishing all night, came back after I think, maybe two days away out fishing and pulling the net in. We're on the beach watching the net being pulled in. As the net arrives on shore, totally empty. The trees that are from the tsunami had actually cut the net on the way close to shore and ripped it, lost all their fish. So we literally went to his house and I walked to his house and he had this house and there was every god you can imagine thousands, like trunks, he's a Hindu guy, like everything you can think of was on the walls. Um, and we prayed for him that the next time they go out, that God would provide a catch for these people. Two days later, went out, we hear these horns and little, little bells on bikes going, we get down there, and they caught 500 kilos of fish. Just massive, it's like Bible days, we've got a video of it somewhere actually. Seeing this fish get thrown into the boat. Anyway, we went back to his house at the end of the week when we were leaving, and there's only two pictures on the wall in his house, one of Mary and one of Jesus. <laughs> Gone. It was amazing, like, what happened through that process. So, again, all these journeys, you know, where God has a plan that's bigger than ours, and that impacted a whole community, because he was a, a chief. So that impacted all those workers, everyone. You know, um, so you've got to trust, trust God with the process. Um, and this is what I love. I want to encourage you guys to be before about the God's got someone everywhere. You know, in, um, in Paul in Acts in Corinth says this, Sorry, about Paul. After these things, Paul departed from Athens, verse 18, sorry, Acts 18, 1 to 11. Um, what have I done here? I'll go straight to verse 9. The Lord spoke to Paul in the, right, in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not slip, keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you or hurt you. For I have many people in this city. And he continued there for a year and months teaching the word of God. And I've found that. God has got people in every city, amen? Like, as I said before, not always Christians, but they're out there and they will help you with the mercy aspect of this. Amen? Even non-believers have a passion for help people and it, it's amazing how many doors have opened up for the gospel through that process. A little girl in the uh, Philippines I was, brought to me, she was six months old and she was born with um, uh, gonorrhea and um, 
She had, she had um, cataracts in her eyes. She had a hole in her heart because of the gonorrhea. She looked like she was six weeks old. She was a tiny little thing. So we took her to the hospital, and the doctor basically said, nothing we can do about it. There's plenty of other kids out there. It requires, like, two, two different surgeries, heart and eyes. And so I looked around the room, and all in the room, because the Catholic nation is scriptures. So we held hands in the room with the doctor and just prayed that God would do something, provide something. She goes, actually, my friend is an optometrist, or ophthalmologist, what you call it, for doing your eye surgery, and her husband's a heart specialist. So out of that process, the two of them did a combined surgery with the old school eye stuff, and he did the heart thing, and that little girl running around today, amen, who wouldn't have lasted another year. So again, God has these moments where you don't, don't give up at that moment. Say, God, what do you want to do, Lord? And you know, it's, it's a tough, tough sometimes, but I always think if it's in front of you, see what God does, amen. Take the opportunity. So for me, evangelism is not just a process. So not just an event, it's a process, amen. You have events which are people come to and but for me I'll go over my life I'm sure with other people and same, same people out in the community we're going to, be, going to be catching up with and I'm believing for everyone to do that is there's a process that takes place I look back and there was many times maybe six at least I can recall in my life before I became a Christian where God was using someone to speak to me amen and that for you you're, you're on that journey as well so that person may not be um, says, you know about Polos and Paul what are the part of the journey on whether it's watering or seeing the increase and God gives that increase at the end. Amen. <laughs> Hope you followed that. Basically, he's giving you an opportunity to see what things he missed um, at the airport. I think catching the bag for the person, finding the lost boy, stopping the lady from walking in front of the car, etc. And I suppose that's, that gives us some up for me about our life. We need to go out looking for mercy opportunities exist, not only in big programs, but in day-to-day life, amen, in people that are out there that are hurting, that we don't know, have just found out they've got cancer, lost their jobs, that we are the ones that can bring that hope, amen. We can be hope carriers. We can bring a seed right in that moment, but we need to be aware. We're rushing everywhere. I remember I shared a message recently at, uh, about Galatians, about the sp- gifts of the Spirit, and thought, well, if only Christians just live by the gifts of the Spirit, Imagine the world we would have lived in if our responses were kindness, joy, self-control, peace. People would see a different patience. People would see a very different church community out there. And the challenge when I was preparing that message out, you go to a petrol station, you're frustrated because that person jumped in front of you in the actual, when you're getting your fuel. Then you're frustrated because someone jumps in front of you in the queue, you're going to pay for the fuel. Are you in a hurry? No. <laughs> but that's what happens. And the reality is if Christians did, instead went, go ahead, next five people. Imagine if we are being what Jesus wants us to be, Amen. Be an example. And they're small things, but they make a massive difference. If all of a sudden that was how we were acting out there, we were, we were being Jesus, amen, then being his hands and feet, we would see a very different response to the church. You know, because sadly we can behave exactly the same as non-Christians out there in the world when it comes to the impatience, kindness, judgment, all those things that happen. And so I think that with the Holy Spirit's help, we can look for those opportunities in petrol stations, buy someone a coffee, whatever, go and talk to someone. Same way word knowledge works in the, in the side of the church, it works out there, amen. I'd I, I love to see that we're out there and saying, going to the, the counter of girls serving at Woolies and say, you know that fight you had with your mum last night? God forgives you, amen. Who, who knows it would be powerful to see word knowledge working out in the community, but it starts with being aware of the community first. It's not going to happen just because we want to go and test it. It's about being aware of what's around us and, and starting to practice. I remember a good friend of mine from um, Pastor Randy from India one time, wherever we go to a shopping centre, he'd sit and he'd always say to my kids, he'd go, See that lady there? What's she thinking? How's she feeling? Not saying anything, but just practicing. Lord, show me. 
show me what people are going through, and then allow the Holy Spirit to give us opportunities to be able to actually speak to them in his wisdom. So I see that video as a small example of a bigger picture um, that we can go out and say, hey, what am I missing in my busyness, in my rush, that can impact a life? How do we love people, amen? Um, the example we have of loving each other is a big part of that. And in John 13, 34, 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you're my disciples, or my Christians, amen? They know by the love we have for each other. That's the key. Our example is so powerful. And why is it a new commandment? Because it's talking about an agape love, a love that is unconditional, a love that only God can give us. We don't have the capacity to love the unlovely. We can't love the the Camerouge that hurt that man's family. We can't love those things. We can't love Salem Hussein without God's help, amen? We need the Holy Spirit to help us to love the unlovely. So i share a story about um, where you can get a, a word from God and the enemy tries to steal away the vision or the purpose of that mercy ministry that you're going to go out and do. So I was part of a church where we had to limit down to one particular activity when I, I was given the role, and they had several things. So I felt that helping single-parent families was the thing to do. So, but for the next two weeks, I was doubting, is that right? Is it the right thing? I flew to Melbourne on a plane. On the plane, I'm sitting there. I was reading, actually, a, a book at the time. Um, uh, and this lady sat next to me with five daughters. So one of them was on the lap. And she was obviously intoxicated. She'd been drinking a lot. And her 16-year-old daughter was rubbing her on the back, saying, it's okay, Mom. And she was abusive to the 16-year-old daughter. So the 16-year-old daughter tried to help by saying, look out the window, girls, their first flight. And she said, oh, she asked the hostess, because it was a Virgin Blue flight at the time, and it was $2.50 to buy the headsets. She said, oh, can we get headsets? And the hostess said, they're $2.50, so they bowed their heads, sad. So I wrote a note to the hostess and said, look, any chance you can pay for colouring books, headsets, whatever else you've got there, uh, and I'll pay for it when I get to Brisbane, I'll go to the ATM and I'll, I'll get the money out. All of a sudden, now stuff, come all the stuff. They get brought out colouring books, face paint, did all this stuff. And eventually, I got a note handed back to me by the hostess, and it said, thank you for being so generous, but we've taken up a collection amongst the hostesses for the, the girls. Then I thought, okay, God, where are you in this? So I got out, the, down, met my wife down at the um, baggage carousel, and I went over and got $100 out of the ATM, got my business card, my wife was next to me, then I gave, gave the 16-year-old daughter the money and said, look, you did an amazing job with your sisters. She gave me a hug, and my wife a hug. My wife had no idea what was going on at this stage. <laughs> Told the story later. Um, anyway, that was it. Hadn't heard anything for about a month. Then the mother, named Jenny, rang me, uh, and we were doing all the single-parent programs that, that I was saying we, we impacted the church. And she said, you don't, know my, you don't know me, but my daughter told me what happened. I was running away from a domestic violence situation in Victoria when that happened. And they ended up coming to the din Christmas dinners, children's programs, you name it, everything. If that wasn't enough, God's so gracious that a year later I got a letter in the mail with all these drawings, colored drawings from young kids. And it was the grandparents in Victoria who were born-again Christians, sending me and saying, thank you for looking after my granddaughters. You imagine, that's, that's just a small snippet of what, we don't see what goes on when we do stuff, but that's a small snippet of an example of what God is doing in the background, amen? I might have done nothing else, and that still could have all happened, but the reality is that we all have the opportunity to plant those seeds and see what God does with it, amen? He'll water it, you know, he'll, he'll um, make it work, Amen? Then we had a thing called Adopt a Block before we move into some other things, but we'd Adopt a Block. So I used to train pastors before they go out and start churches in doing mercy ministry. So this Saturday, we, we would put a letter in the mail on a Thursday saying, we're coming to your house between 10 and 12 on Saturday. 
do stuff around your house. So we let a box drop to a community, and um, we went out, and the first day, one particular gentleman, we went to his door, and he literally swore at us, told us to get out of here, like dropped a few F-bombs, etc. And then we moved on. We did this for four weeks with those guys while they were training. So week three, we're out there, and the neighbor comes to me from that man and said, oh, can you help Carl next door because he's got cancer? I said, oh, mate, he doesn't really want us to help him. <laughs> he's not happy. He came out and stood next to me and said, mate, I'm so sorry about the other day. I can't work in my garden because I've got medication affects my in the sun. Can you please help me? Of all those people we visited, like 100, he came to church, got anointed with all, and got prayed for and became a Christian. So the one that was, again, abusing us was not the one. So again, using God's eyes, amen, it's different, amen. doesn't always look the way, look, way you think. Another time I was in the Queen Street Mall. We go in every, for four years, we go every Friday night till it was like two in the morning to share the gospel with people. And one of my team, my teammates um, would always say to them, sad, it's a sad indictment, God wants to be a father to you. And mostly them responded badly to that comment, to tell you the truth, which is sad. Um, but one guy did that one time and he got abusive and said, my dad, and, and I looked at him, but 10 minutes into this rant, I said, mate, you love your dad. He just bursts into tears and he goes, yeah, I'd kill for him. He also came to church and ended up moving with a family in church. And so, again, the ones that aren't always obvious are not, it's not the way it works, amen? It doesn't always work that way. Um, <coughs> Then we had a backyard blitz. I don't know if everyone heard of the Brisbane. Brisbane had like the Lord Mayor's like big blitz of helping all the houses in Brisbane. So churches would come together and they would like literally have a, a staging place. So this could be a staging place and all the churches and would come in and volunteers would go out with lawn mowers and just help the community once a year. So this day I was given that role of coordinating it, but with a day's notice. I had no idea who's coming. I didn't know what houses we're going to. So we rocked up in the morning at 8.30 for a 9 o'clock start with a bunch of sheets to work out where we send everybody. So we just ran and we said, you four there, you there, you there, you got a trailer. We didn't even know what the job was. So we sent them off like that and we came back and had a testimony later of what God had done. One of the families came back and they went to a house where the lady only spoke Latvian and so did the volunteer. Again, like, again, so God works even through the disorganization, through all this stuff. God gets his outcome, amen. That was always going to happen, amen. God, and this is, the, this is the conflict between working in, like the, God's plans versus us on the move. I believe it's always happened. My experience has always been when we're moving, we're not standing still. God makes the way. He adjusts things. He makes it work. And even when we don't understand it, even the most ungodly places like in Sri Lanka, he has a plan that we can be a part of. Amen? And so we're joining him. We're not saying, God, come with me. It's like, where are you now, Lord, and what can we do to make a difference? Um, can we get the musicians back up? Is that right? Yeah. That's really, um, there was a song that we were um, singing, Hallelujah, I think things even got up again and, and re-sung it, but this one, it, I had the same thought as soon as the song came on, I was like, I really want to use that to minister off. And I, I really think like, who knows the story of Mehibosheth? You know that story? So literally, um, Mehibosheth was um, who David wanted to show kindness to. He's part of the Saul's, part of the Jonathan's family. And Mehibosheth didn't know that he was meant to be at the king's table. Amen. He was lame in both his feet. He came into the room to the king, King David, and and said, "Why would you look upon such a dead dog as I? Like, why, why me?" And he said, "Because I wanted to show kindness." So basically, we can either believe that ourselves about ourselves, so that we're not meant to be at the king's table. But before we can bring others to the table, we have to really know that we're meant to be at the king's table, amen? 
We need to know this, like Mehibosheth, that the same way that there was a covenant between Jonathan and David, there's a covenant between Jesus, that a covenant for us that we can tap into that gives us ability to sit at the king's table, amen? And so, as we're singing this song, I really want to like allow God to speak to you about loving you and then going out and loving others, amen? But first knowing how much God has forgiven you, how much God has empowered you, how much grace he's given you and we want to go out with that same grace into our community amen and say God show us Pastor Ben Gray told me a story one time he was at an airport and it really challenged me that he saw a lady holding a baby and just staring at the baby and laughing together and, and he felt the Holy Spirit say what does she see and he said oh joy and through all these lists of things and, and he felt the Holy Spirit say no she sees goodness and there is no goodness outside of God. Amen? And that, start looking for that in people. Let the veil, let the curtains open up and say, what, what, what do you really see? Like that man that was abusing me about his dad, all those people, look at them and go, God, what do you see, Lord? Give me your eyes, Lord, as that song says. Just one second. Let me see what I've been missing. Don't let me look at what's outward appearance. Let me see, God, what you see. If we start having that mindset when we go out in the community, even when someone does something that's obviously not good in front of us, think differently, amen. Because that moment of praying for them could change their life. Even if you don't speak to them personally, just praying for them and seeing that situation. Prayer is powerful, amen. I talked before about touching the hem of Jesus' garment. Have that in your mind when you do it. See this person walking past, they've just kicked the dog. What's your response? I don't mind, we'll get the dog. Lord, I pray for that boy. In that moment, supernatural things can happen, amen? We had that mindset, we go to the community, we're going to see a lot more than we've been, we're not going to miss stuff, amen? And it's not hard either, it's not talking about, it's just being present in those moments. I saw this morning as um, I was chatting to Tina about something and a gentleman walked in on crutches here and, and he jumped up straight away to be there with him. And that's, that's what I'm talking about, amen? It's being present with people that are there, that need you. Amen. And so I encourage you guys, hey, um, if we could sing through that hallelujah song again, maybe just so we could stand. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, you don't hear me. Thank you, Jesus.